Last week uh, I read from Daniel 1 and uh, I was intending to actually speak on the, uh, on the idea, the power of faithfulness and I never quite got to <coughs> unpacking that part so I sort of set things up last week and uh, I was trying to set the scene about where we are and how Daniel relates to us as, a, as people in a 21st century world and you know, I talked about how Christianity probably from the, I don't know, maybe the late mid to late 50s after the war, definitely through the 60s, has been losing ground and influence within society at large. Um, I talked about how society is dominated by a pluralism, a conditional system where two or more States, groups, principles, sources of authority exist side by side and how we're relativistic um, and that whole thing where people will tell you there's no such thing as absolute truth and want us to accept that statement as an absolute truth. There's this drive to separate the church and the state and I know that the Church of England is still the state church, but there is this continual drive to try and separate the state and the church. And political correctness, for me, seems to try and bind us up that we can't say anything, to the point that even standing in the street and praying in your mind is being challenged in this day and age. And all those things come together with a very distinct purpose, and that is to push Christianity to the margins of society, to almost try and move us from center stage as having something to say to being considered odd. But then if Peter says that we're a peculiar people anyway, that shouldn't particularly bother us. But the reality is there's this drive to push us to the, uh, the extremities of Society and it's all right to exercise faith, it's all right to have personal belief, but whatever you do, don't try and talk to me about it because that's an invasion of my life and uh, I feel that the result of that is you're discrediting me. The truth is whenever Christianity has been pushed to the margins, then the church of Jesus Christ has grown you see it in countries where there is persecution of Christianity. The church becomes, it, it seems to disappear altogether and then following uh, times you start to hear of little pockets here and little pockets there and before you know it there's this absolute um, mushroom growth that seems to be going on as people outwork their, their, this encounter that they have with Jesus. And so, on the one hand, while we're trying to be pushed to the extremity, I don't want us to be overly concerned with that. And yet, at the same time, I want us to understand the power of faithfulness. Because just because there is that attempt to push us out does not mean that we should not remain faithful and stand and still speak when it is required to do so. I'm just going to read a short passage of scripture out of Daniel. I read Daniel 1 last week. Um, 
the second part of the chapter is actually entitled Daniel's Faithfulness. And Daniel was faithful. And he and his companions, who were called, or had their name changed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, yeah, they, there they were, they were there, and they, they were found to be of great worth. And they, they won the king's, um, you know, not, I can't think of the word I want, praise, favor. Thank you. So, I want to read to you from um, chapter 3. I could read from chapter 6. Chapter 6 is all about where Daniel has prayed when it was said that he shouldn't pray, nobody should pray uh, or make, you know, um, pray to Nebuchadnezzar himself. That was the only person that could be prayed to and he had passed an injunction saying that anybody who prayed to anyone else than himself or sought him out instead, they would be thrown in the lion's den. And Daniel was faithful in that. And where we're reading is Nebuchadnezzar chapter 3. King ne- I'll read verse 1 and then I'll tell you where I jump. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, its breadth six cubits, and he set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. And then basically Nebuchadnezzar sends out all his um, treasurers, justices, magistrates, counselors, satraps, prefects, all the whole lot went out and they basically gave his word. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, I'm down at verse 4, nations and languages that when you hear the sound of the horn the pipe the lyre the trigon I'm not really sure what a trigon is harp bagpipe I didn't it's the first time I've uh, consciously seen bagpipe in the scripture I thought whoa the Scots were there yeah so the bagpipe and every kind of music you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, etc., and all the music, all the peoples, nations, languages fell down and worshipped the golden image Nebuchadnezzar had set up. It says all there, but that isn't quite true. Because Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego didn't. And neither did Daniel. But anyway, it goes on then and it says, um, there are certain Jews, I'm in verse 12, whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province. This is all those satraps and all the rest of them. There are certain Jews who have been appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, verse 13, in furious rage, commanded, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image I've set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp and bagpipe and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning 
fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered and I think these are some fantastic words. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hands, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Last week I tried to say to you and suggest to you, and I do think it's probably right seeing that Daniel was around when King Cyrus came to the throne, that Daniel and these guys are probably around anywhere between 13 and 16 years of age. So they're in a very impressionable time in their life, and yet despite that, and despite the the societal pressure at that moment in their life, their peer pressure to conform to that which is happening around them, they choose <clears throat> to remain faithful, no matter, no matter what. And so, I think there is a message here for us who are followers, believers and followers of Jesus Christ in a, this 21st century world. Now I agree that not all individuals are the same, and it's true, we're not all the same, um, The society in which we live does exert on us continually pressure to conform to what the majority think is acceptable. You know, when there is darkness and there is a spark of light, I used to say that darkness was eradicated, but darkness itself is not eradicated. But the moment there is a small spark of light, darkness is challenged You can still be aware that there is darkness. If if this room was totally solided out and we were in here and I struck a match, you would only see a very small point of light when that single match is struck. But darkness is exposed. The darkness is genuinely exposed when light as a counterbalance to darkness is lit and the more that matches get struck the more that we would come together and we might light candles or whatever it is lamps together one at a time more and more light would flood the room darkness would still you would still be aware because there's 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 a sphere of influence with that light each person's light and even when they come together there's a sphere of influence but somewhere in the corners of the room we would still be aware that darkness was there And therefore, that is what these young men were doing in my mind. They weren't belligerent in their language. They were just faithful in the way in which they conducted themselves. You know, when preachers sometimes want to talk about something and emphasize it, and I'm, I'm as guilty of this as anybody else, we'll talk about not discipleship, we'll talk about radical discipleship. Because the word radical seems to up the ante a little bit, you know. But these guys didn't, although I think they did live radically, when you consider the pressure on them, the reality is they just lived faithfully at the end of the day. They just lived faithfully. 
They did not allow their faith to be changed because those outside of them wanted them to be brought in and enculturated in the ways of Babylon. And so in that first chapter of Daniel, we read that verse where he said, but Daniel resolved, verse 8, that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. What does that mean to us today? Well, for me, he resolved. Daniel made a resolve. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego made a resolve. Daniel, in chapter 6, resolves not to do the thing that would violate and defile his love and his devotion to God. So what does that mean to us, the resolve? Well, when I looked at the word in the Hebrew, it means to draw a line, to draw a line. This line I will not cross. This line I will not cross. It also has the concept with it to set it in place, to set something in place. And therefore, that's about us making a decision to set a line in place, a line which we are not willing to go and step over. When he talks about defining himself, there are three words that seem to fit in with it. Desecrate, pollute and stain. Desecrate, pollute and stain. The idea of a stain, stain is something that on the whole cannot be removed. It's there in perpetuity, right? And therefore, if, if something we have in clothing gets badly stained, then it doesn't matter what we do. We cannot get rid of that stain. It will always be visible. And he chose not to stain himself, not to pollute himself, make himself unholy, not to desecrate his relationship with God, not to violate his conscience. In other words, he separated himself unto God. He separated himself unto God. To live faithfully as followers of Jesus Christ will mean for us that we need to make some resolves. And why do I use plural? There is the resolve that we make to say we are going to follow Christ. But all of us will know that from the moment that we say we're going to follow Jesus, it is a continual journey towards that place that we are having the image of Christ in, um, stamped in our lives and how that happens more often than not, then there is a challenge, a problem, there is a trial, a temptation that comes along. And we, having made a singular resolve that we say we're going to follow Jesus, have to make daily resolves to remain faithful to that first resolve. We have to draw a line. 
So on the first one, we draw a line and we say we are giving ourselves wholeheartedly to God. And on the day that we make that decision, I want to say to you, there is very few people, I've ne- I don't, can't say I've ever met anybody that I, I would say was never genuine on the day that they make that statement. When they meet Jesus for the first time, there is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so I believe that we start with that intent. But because of the way so often we have shared the gospel, we almost have made it, it is just that one singular intent. And then we can coast along into eternity when it's time. Whether Christ returns, whether we have an early exit, or whether we live a full, joyful life, you know, or a full life to the extremity of our days, eventually we will just go and be with the Lord. We talk about the love of God, which I believe in passionately. We talk about the grace of God. I believe in it. We talk about the mercy of God. I believe in it. Absolutely 100%. But our life is made up of daily results. Am I going to follow Jesus Christ today? And in that day, I may have to make a number of other resolves as I walk through my day. When I'm at work and the conversation turns smutty, am I going to just stand and like a chameleon blend in or am I going to walk away? I don't have to make big statements. I can just walk away and separate myself. When my colleagues, and I had this situation once in the fire brigade, where we were not supposed to accept any gifts of cash, and we turned out to a thatched cottage with its chimney on fire, and of course that's quite dangerous for a thatched cottage because the roof will soon go if you don't deal with it. And the person whose house it was was so thrilled that we had turned out, they gave the sub-officer on the machine some money. And when he got back into the cab and we were driving away, he started to distribute it amongst the crew on the cab and I refused to take it. And I want to tell you, I was actually not pinned to the seat in the van, but I was threatened that if I dobbed them in, you know, there would be consequences. So... It's a challenge for us to take a stand. I'm not minimizing the challenge, but we need to do that. The reason we do it is this. God has made a covenant with us. And a covenant is not just any old arbitrary thing. You might remember in the Old Testament when God made a covenant with Abraham He cut animals in half and he passed between it. Normally what would happen is both parties would pass between it and they would be tied to that covenant. You know, the the blessings and the curses. You see, later on, you see the children of Israel just before... um, Is it in... um, I don't know if it's in numbers. It might be. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head. But there is... 
there is the, the statement about blessings and cursings. If you're obedient, then you will be blessed. If you are disobedient, you'll be cursed. You know, and there are blessings and cursing, curses attributed to covenant. The idea of covenant is beautiful because it has this idea about being carried like a mother cares for her child which I think is a beautiful picture of intimacy. A beautiful picture of intimacy. And so when God makes a covenant with us, it is describing something really, really, really intimate. And when those two ideas, the carrying and the being cared for, come together... I can't understand why anyone would not want to participate in that relationship. I really just can't understand why someone would choose to walk away, and yet people do. But once we decide to enter in, then as I thought about this, I understand how God has the right... We often will say we have a difficulty. Can a loving God send people to hell? And I know it's a really difficult question because in our mind, love and sending someone to eternal punishment seems totally, totally... We're on the wobble. And when somebody asks us, we get really frightened because we don't know how to answer the question. But if we're in a covenant relationship think about it if humanity God made a covenant when he created the world right he has the right to do that when that covenant is broken not because he's being nasty but because that is the terms of the agreement there is a sense we do send ourselves to hell if that's where we're going. If we continually refuse God, turn our back on him, walk away from him, we'll not accept the beautiful gift that he's given us in Jesus. And Jesus dying on Calvary, shedding his blood, just like we have celebrated and remembered and proclaimed this morning through communion, then there is an element where we make that decision about our eternal destiny. But even if we weren't to do that, God has the right to judge us. Judge, his judgment is faithful, it is true, it, was, it is without error. And we must remember that. God's faithfulness is described as everlasting, Psalm 119 established psalm 89 unfailing again psalm 89 infinite psalm 36 great lamentations incomparable psalm 89 and god manifests this faithfulness that he extends towards us in the plans that he makes that's in isaiah covenant keeping deuteronomy some of you will know this verse 7, 9. The faithful God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep 
his commandments. Now, we don't earn our salvation, I appreciate that, but it doesn't release us from obedience. God is faithful towards humanity in that he is faithful to the covenant and the promises he has made. Daniel and his companions were facing this pressure to conform and they showed a determined loyalty to the gracious covenant that God had made towards them. They simply lived faithfully. They didn't do cartwheels or try and levitate or try and do 300 different things. They were just faithful. They were just faithful. You see, our relationship isn't based on head knowledge alone. It is based on our response to the faithfulness God has given us that we in turn are faithful to him. A bit like the marriage covenant vows we take. Where we separate ourselves to each other and each other alone. And the reality is that the only one that I can be sure of in this relationship is God. He is always faithful. The question for me is, am I? And it's a simple question. It's not even a trick question. It is, am I faithful? Daniel, without a shadow of a doubt, was faithful. He continued to pray to his God when he was told he couldn't do it. He didn't hide the fact. In fact, it says in chapter 6, he waited until the decree had been signed and he went to his room, opened his windows and he knelt down and prayed. He was being absolutely open. Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego, when they stood before the king, it appears to me that the king was going to get the musical instruments blown with them on the spot to see if they would do what they're supposed to do. And the reality is, before he even got a chance to ask for it, they said, forget it, mate. We ain't doing it. And our God can save us. And even if he doesn't, no matter, we still ain't doing it. All right? We know in whom we have believed. Life is a journey, a continual journey of making resolves, responding, responding to the faithfulness of God towards us by being faithful towards him. I don't know where I got that. Proverbs 3.3 says this, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. It's no wonder we find such a determined, resolute stance demonstrated by these young men. You see, they would have been brought up hearing that stuff again and again and again. 
again and again and again. But why would we remain faithful? Let's be honest, why would we remain faithful? Proverbs 28.20 says this, A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. You see, I think that Daniel and his friends had already recognized that God had already been faithful to them. They were still alive. They were probably in a better place than many of the people who had been left behind in what they had available to them. In 1 Samuel 26, 33, it says, The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. It's where David's in the cave, and Saul is relieving himself, and he has the opportunity to take his pursuer's life. But even there, David recognized that he could not and should not do it, even though it would have been expedient for him to do so. And he chose faithfulness to God rather than expediency to self. And I think that's something we, as people of God, need to learn. The idea in Scripture seems to me is where people are faithful, there is a power in faithfulness. You see, Daniel, if you think about it, Daniel's around many years later when Cyrus comes to the throne, and I said this last week, and he gave him all the articles that had been taken from the temple to return to the temple and to send the people back. Daniel and his friends' faithfulness at this moment in time saw its fruit many, 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 many years in advance, uh, further on. Sometimes people will talk about um, leaving a legacy. Often what that means is leaving a name for yourself. But in God, here, Daniel left a legacy, but it wasn't to leave his name inscribed on something to say, this is, in this place was Daniel, who got thrown in the lion's den. But Daniel left a legacy through his obedience and his faithfulness to God. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego left a legacy, I believe, because of their faithfulness to God. When Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged his God was the God. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace, so hot it was that as the people who threw them in, threw them in, they died. And there are the three of them walking around inside with a fourth person which Nebuchadnezzar saw with his own eyes. So God provided, even in the fiery furnace, in those moments of trial, God provided support in that moment. God supplied um, support for Daniel in the lion's den when an angel came and shut the mouths of the lion. But they left a legacy the change that took place 
in that initial period of Cyrus, I've got to say, I think was tied to the faithfulness of these young men. I know it doesn't necessarily say it in a verse of scripture, but it appears to me that way. They found favour with the king. They found favour with the eunuch. At the end of their training, they were seen by the king to be the best out of everybody in the whole land in matters of wisdom, understanding. As the king examined them, he found them not just a little better, but ten times better than anybody else. Better than all the magicians and the astrologers who were all in his realm. They found acceptance. They rose to the highest places. In that passage this morning in Daniel 3, they come to the king and they say, these guys who you've given responsibility over these things in Babylon, you know, you've given them that high place of responsibility. They got places of responsibility, not through compromising in order to make that transition, but by being faithful, allowing God to raise them up. They also got longevity. We gain strength through faithfulness. 1 Timothy 1.12 I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. It says in another verse, let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones, When we live faithfully, I want to tell you, it assists us to praise him. All these things happen through faithfulness. Now I know that some of you have lived faithfully and are living faithfully. And I know that we all fail. And so this isn't a a thing of guilt. There's no guilt attached to what I'm about to say. But the reality is that Living faithfully is tough and that's why we need each other. That's why we need to gather together. That's why we need not just to gather in a meeting like this, but in smaller groups so that we can encourage and build each other up in the face so that we can share when we are facing those times of distress in our lives for prayer. Being sensible, of course, about how we do that. But nevertheless... We support one another to remain faithful to God. It is hard to live faithfully, but if we find the ability to do so, I want to tell you, the blessings are immense. The blessings are immense. It says in 1 Corinthians 4.2, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Galatians 5 lists the fruit of the Spirit, one of which is faithfulness. But the beauty of the, if we're led by the Spirit is this, there is no condemnation from the law. There is no punishment from the law. We are free from judgment when we walk faithfully and have confidence in him. So let us resolve not to compromise ourselves, defile ourselves, but to separate ourselves for God and stand firm. Some of you will know this verse well. 
Jesus is speaking in Matthew 16 and he says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. We live one day at a time. And Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 5, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make our aim to please God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. One day, we will all have to give account. I'm sure like me, you want to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. Let us make our aim to please him, Jesus, and through that, our Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father God, it's... I don't think probably any one of us here could come with a sense of necessarily pride and pray about something like this because Father God so often we are all found wanting and yet Lord I believe it's the hearts you look upon and Lord you know that we want to live in a manner that pleases you And I want to ask you, Lord, will you help us day to day, moment to moment, be able to make that resolve, to draw the line, to set things in place that we do not step across them. And Lord, I I, I really do ask that you would help us, Father God. Because Lord, even in my own life, I just know the pressures that so often some come our way and how often... Lord, sometimes we overstep that line when we should have made a line in the sand and we should have made that resolve. Father, where we need forgiveness this morning, I just want to pray, Lord, as each person, Lord, just meditates on faithfulness, Lord, and their faithfulness, examining themselves, as we were told this morning, to see that we are still in the faith. Father God, I want to pray that, Lord God, that you will meet each and every one of us where we are. I pray, Father, more than anything else, that where we need forgiveness, Lord, as your word has said, you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we confess our sins to you and ask for cleansing. And so, Lord, help us walk in a way 
which honours and pleases you. Amen. Amen.